Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Elizabeth Chance Podcast. Today we are on episode 334 with our guest, who I'm so excited to have on, which is Anne-Marie Rowley, who is based in Melbourne, Australia. Before we start, I I want to thank Soberlink for sponsoring us. And imagine you've just gotten sober. You're working your program, checking in with the recovery coach, maintaining employment, and well, thriving. And now imagine that none of your closest friends or family believes you. So much trust is lost during active addiction. And it can be hard to convince loved ones that things are different, that you're different. Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is designed to help you sustain sobriety while, and lifestyle while rebuilding trust with loved ones. Soberlink is um, small enough to fit into your purse, your pocket, and discreet enough to use in public. Soberlink's devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober and you're working towards your recovery goals. As a certified recovery specialist myself, I can really, I, I have to say, I can't imagine having such a better tool in your, at your disposal. So please go visit www.soberlink.com slash BLS for Busy Living Sober to sign up and receive a $50 off your first device. Thank you again, Soberlink. Back to Anne-Marie. So Anne-Marie is part of my daily meditation. And you guys all know that listen to me regularly know that every morning I get up and I write, I journal, and then I meditate. And I found Anne-Marie on Insight Timer. And I, your suggestion one day, I think, you were like one of the prompts that they have. And they were like, here, go look at it, go, you know, go check out this new person. And I'm like hooked on your voice. I'm hooked on your message. You're incredible. The way that you, um, it's just so peaceful and calming the way your meditations are. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for actually doing this for everybody in the world, putting this out there for all of us at our disposal because it is such an amazing tool. But I get so many people saying to me, I can't meditate. (laughs) What's your response when they say that? I get it all the time, of course. You know, I get it in yoga. I'm not flexible enough, so I can't do yoga. Well, that's why you do it. I can't meditate because I can't quiet my mind. Well, that's why you actually practice. All our minds, it wouldn't matter if you're the Dalai Lama, your mind is busy. You know, it's that monkey on the shoulder and playing up all the time. And particularly if you have a creative mind or if you have a worrying mind, you're constantly, constantly thinking, just as we are breathing. And I don't know where these stats come from, to be quite honest. I hear them all the time, though, that we have around 70,000 thoughts a day. It doesn't matter how many we have. We know we have many, 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 many of which are caught up in the past, many of which are going into the future, planning, worrying, etc. And we're never present. And so what meditation and mindfulness do for you is just to quiet the mind just for a little while. It might only be a split second. 
but that quiet in that quiet that space is when you get the clarity and when you get the peace that deep peace that comes from it now I never believed that I could achieve that myself and of course my mind goes all over the place because often I'll be sitting there starting to go into a mindfulness practice and I'm writing the next one. So I fully understand that minds just completely play up all the time. But the point is here, it's very, very simple, you know. We, we complicate everything in life. It's very simple. Just be still. And even if it's just for a minute, just be still. So I can go on about this um, to quite an extent but I would say to anyone you can't do something unless you try just try and perhaps it might be a minute a day you know I hear from so many people oh you know I'm trying to sit for an hour well that's nonsense you know the average person can't sit for an hour and meditate and in fact in the traditional schools that I was trained in we believe that if you could be still and sit still for 24 minutes now that's a minute per um, for, for a minute of the day you know each minute of the day so let's say 24 minutes in the morning if possible in the evening but that may not happen then go into the quiet times of the day to that beautiful early early morning if you can if you're prepared to get up a little bit earlier than normal and so dawn and dusk we say because they're the quietest times outside of you as well so just to sit still for a little while it might mean that you're literally just looking at I don't know, a tree that you've got outside your window or you might just be listening to the birds or because that's mindfulness and that's the first stage of going into that depth and quiet in the body and the mind. Does that help a little bit? You just totally relax me just with your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear I do that. <laughs> you do, I want to ask you, how did you come to getting into yoga and meditation what was your journey um, before this how did you it's get been here? a really long one because I'm quite old but <laughs> but um yeah it's been a very long way look everyone asks me that and I never used to tell my story very much because I was always I felt that no one would be that interested to be honest and then I realized I love other people's stories so why wouldn't people like to hear what I have to say so I've started to, to tell that story particularly in the workshops I deliver I started very early. I was 16, and it's a sad story. My father, whom I adored, was dying by the time I was 16. And mm -hmm. he was on a machine for about four and a half years, off and on, but mainly on. And it broke my heart. And I remember um, meditation was not in Australia, nor was yoga really then. There's a little bit of meditation, but very little. And one day I was visiting him in the hospital and I walked outside of the hospital and and I was really, really broken. I actually hit my head against a wall. That's how broken I was. And I thought, you know, how long is he going to survive? And um, I was walking up this main street near the hospital and there was a big sign on a door. If you need to relax, come in. I thought, what? You know, it was like the universe just threw that down in front of me. It was incredible, this big sign. So I just walked into this old house. I was 16. And um, it was a woman who um, um, was the protege of the man who introduced uh, meditation into Melbourne. And, wow. uh, and she had these big chairs. And I sat on this chair and she taught yoga nidra which is the deep relaxation process or we'll call it the relaxation response it was called that in those days 
And I remember thinking, oh, what's this? And, you know, despite all the whole journey I've taken throughout life and the life I've led, that's never left me. And to this day, I still practice yoga nidra. And the last time I did it was yesterday. And I did it for half an hour. So I would keep practicing that because with the state we're in, I guess at the time that I was in and our family were in, I could have gone to drugs. I could have gone to anything, alcohol, anything. Um, and I was a party girl, there's no doubt. You know, I had a great time in life too. But, but it always concerned me that I could have gone down that rabbit hole. And um, so I chose yoga and meditation and it wasn't till I went to England when I was 20 when my uh, 21 I just turned 21 my father died had died mm. and I was limping and I had this limp and it was in the snow it was snowing in London in, in at the Christmas time that's quite rare but it was this at this time and my flatmate said to me why are you limping you shouldn't be limping at your age and I said, I don't know. And I'd been diagnosed with arthritis in my foot, which I didn't actually have. I didn't have it. And I never believed I had it. And I thought, what am I, what am I doing? What's happening in my body? And I realized it was grief. Mm. And so I looked up a phone book in London, yoga, <laughs> because, hey, the Beatles did it. And I thought, hey, I like George Harrison. <laughs> so this was well after the Beatles had split up. And I thought, I really like George Harrison. So I looked up yoga and I happened to end up at one of the strictest schools in the world called Shivananda. And I walked into this white house. I'll never forget. This is another thing I never could never forget. It was a white house somewhere in London. Can't remember where now. And they were all dressed in white. And you could have put your fingers through their eyes because they're that clear in the eyes. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, I've just walked into a bunch of fruitcakes. I'm like, you know, what is this place? I did one class. I did one yoga class and I thought, oh my goodness. And so this all melded, if you like, because the aspiration of all yoga is to quiet the mind. So I started to study then and really quite strictly as well. So in the very classical schools of Hatha yoga. And uh, then one of the teachers came up to me one day and said, you should be teaching. And that's how it all started. And so they sent me to Israel. They built a big uh, ashram on a kibbutz because Israel was in dire straits at the time. And I did a, some training in yoga and then came back to London and taught it, but then thought I'm not mature enough to teach. And so it was many years again before I picked it up again. Mm. I just felt I was too young and I hadn't had enough life experience. Yeah, so I took it up again when I came back to Australia. I um, there were no teachers. I didn't have any teachers here. Went into a, you know that busy corporate life that you go into to survive, and and um, and then one day I just woke up and thought I must teach, and I'm not in the right place. I you know I, yeah I'm climbing the wrong mountain, and uh, this uh, this teacher I'd never met him never met him before and I did a class he came up to me at the end of the class he said you should be teaching I'd never met him in my life and I said well I did a course I did study it in London he said well you should be doing it he said you have to offer that and um and I rang his teacher and she's an Indian master and to make a long story short I studied with her for years and then and now here I am full time and teaching yoga and meditation and mindfulness mm. so I thank my father for that mm -hmm. He was beautiful, but I thank him greatly for that. 
Yeah. So, you know, and I think I learned so much about compassion in those days too, you know. So, so uh, yeah, so this whole journey has been, I must say now, the past 20 years or maybe even longer now, have been so peaceful. And from all that angst during, you know, young adulthood and through adulthood actually, um, I just look back and think I couldn't be where I am now if I hadn't been where I've been. So the point is that now it's um, it's such a joy and I feel so incredibly humbled by it because, you know, I I never even thought about going on Insight Timer and, um, and uh, what happened is a friend of mine rang me one day and she said, look, we need to have breakfast. And I said, yeah, okay. And, you know, I'm very social, by the way. I love my friends. And I... At breakfast, she said, well, you know, there's an app I've heard of and it's been uh, bought by an Australian company and I think you need to go on it. And and I just said to her, no, 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 I'm I'm not that calibre. I'm not the Tara Brax. I'm not the, you know, I knew about all these people. And she said, well, I'm going to nag you till you do. So she kept ringing me. <laughs> and I said to her one day, I said, oh, this is four years ago. And I said, oh, Okay, I'll I'll go and record one. I had all access to all of that because of the corporate life I'd lived in, and um, I recorded one and took three months to go up in those days, and uploaded it. And uh, she rang me again one day and she said, "Look, I think you know we need to have breakfast." I said, "Oh yeah, whatever." And um, she said, "Oh, you're up on Insight Time." I said, "Oh, am I? <laughs> oh dear." She said, yeah. And she said, how many people do you think have listened to it in the past, you know, 24 or 48 hours? I said, oh, I don't know. It's pretty big. I suppose maybe 100. And she said, try thousands. And that's how it started. And so I was completely, completely amazed by that. And then now I get, I get probably, I don't know, 50 to 100 people writing to me a week. Yeah, just from Insight Timer. So it's... um. Yes, I'm very humbled by it because I had no idea. But, you know, people, you ask me, I get going back to that question, you know, I'm peaceful. I am now, yes. And if someone asked me, you know, are you really that peaceful? I'd have to say that the only thing that can disturb me now, of course, is grief, you know, of losing someone or someone being ill. Or, but very little upsets me. And, yes, I am very peaceful, yeah. But it's from years and years of, of just practising. And just, you know, I still go off on a tangent, as you can hear. <laughs> but no, I um, I am peaceful now, and I think I think every experience I've had, and plus, the reason why I put those experiences in my practices now for you to hear and share. Mm. Does that it's answer a, your question? Thank, yes, it does. And thank <laughs> you so much for that. And before we started recording, we were talking about how you're in Australia, and. Mm. During COVID, it was very locked down. I mean, we all saw that Djokovic couldn't play last year in the Australian Open, and it was a big deal, and all these people were talking about it. And how do you remain peaceful when you're so powerless and fed with such fear? Very, very good question. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot to my students because, you know, Take this or leave this as it is, I'm really anti-media. And what happened is here, people were listening to this number business, you know, oh, it's number this today and number this today and so many people have done this and so many people are dying and da-da. And 
I teach a particular class at 11.15 on Sundays on, on Zoom, and um, this is during the pandemic, and um, I noticed my students were coming in a little bit late, and I said, what on earth are you late for, to yoga, you know, for this is going to help you? And they said, oh, we're listening to the news, the 11.15 report on numbers. And I well, what on earth are you doing to yourself? Anyway, so I don't actually watch the news ever, ever. And then people, of course, say to me, oh, you know, how can you be informed? I can be informed. I'm a big reader. I know what's going on. But my attitude is I cannot help those. I can't help people on a train wreck in Siberia. I can't help it when someone else in another country is really sick. What I can do is spend my energy on helping those in need in front of me. So what I did during this time, I honestly did not feel any fear over the pandemic at all. The only thing that concerned me was not seeing my little nephews, you know, and things like because we were really locked down for a long, long time. However, I taught, I don't know, maybe maybe eight, maybe more. I can't remember how many classes a week on Zoom. And so I was teaching yoga by voice, not by demonstration at all. And a lot of those students have been with me for 16 or 20 years anyway, so they knew what they were doing. Then I would teach mindfulness as well. And that I felt for me, from my personal um, perspective on this, by giving out in that way, I didn't suffer in any way. Yes, I, you know, cleaned the house and threw things out and did what people do and, you know, set up photo albums and did all that sort of stuff, watched a lot of Netflix, watched a lot of whatever, um, read a lot, but I wrote a lot too. And, and the thing is that I actually enjoyed the quiet, but that's me. I didn't have anyone. I mean, I now have friends who have got it now because we still have it here, but as, as probably the whole world does. But I never got caught up in that media. And I really blame them for a lot of this. I really do. And um, I might get shot tomorrow for, for saying it. But, you know, it's just appalling the way it kept going. And I have neighbours, neighbours who are in their 80s who never turn off their television set and they watch the news all day long. So my attitude is if you're feeding your mind with all that stuff, how on earth can you be peaceful or calm? So spend your energy, you know, doing something for someone else in some way or preparing to do something for someone else, or ringing a friend a day. I had this saying, my father used to laugh, but it was, you know, ring a friend a day to make sure they're okay. Mm. I was, and I used to do it when I was 11. Of course, we didn't have digital phones then, of course, so I was on the phone all the time. It used to drive him nuts. But, um, but you know, the attitude is that always just just keep, I just think giving is the only way to keep that, keep yourself from going into that fear because fear is about you. You know, it's about me, 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 you know, mm. and you've just got to let that go. It was very interesting. I write, I'm writing about fear at the moment, but Australia was an incredible example of that. I, I could not believe some of the things and the way people behaved during that time. It was a real eye-opener and a very sad one on many levels, but also there was a lot of kindness too, you know. So it's um, so that's how I would suggest that you don't get caught up in the negativity. And, you know, unfortunately, our brains go straight to the negativity, so we need to train them not to. And it's a, it's it's challenging, yes, but I can't get caught up on that nonsense. And, you know, I've always said to people, there's sort of information. And in this world today, we're so, so caught up in information. We get information from so many platforms, so many um, magazines, so many papers, so many 
you know, broadcasts. And and yet we don't really go into the knowledge. So we don't don't delve down. We just read snippets and we think we know and we don't know. And then we go into the knowledge and we think I know, but we don't know. And what we need to do is go down to the next level, which is wisdom. And that only comes from, you know, sitting back and, and observing and also not judging. Just observing and learning that way and just watching. And then also really, really spending a lot of time on reflection, self-reflection. And I noticed you said you write in a journal every day. I don't, but I think it's a lovely thing to do. Mm. Because I find it really interesting when you were talking about when you first went to London after your father had passed away mm -hmm. and you had this ailment in your leg. You're, you thought there was something wrong with you, correct? And you realized that it was from grief. Doesn't this fear that surrounds all of us of this thing we can't see, we can't touch, we can't, we can't touch COVID, right? We can't touch mm -hmm. all these diseases that are out there, including alcoholism and addiction. You can't touch it. But the fear can make you sicker. Isn't that true? Absolutely. It's fear that makes us, it's how we think. You know, I know there are there are addictions and I understand that that there are all these, you know, people get, get all sorts of dreadful illnesses, familial, for example. And, you know, it can be in your DNA, et cetera. I understand that. But it's the fear that makes us worse. You know, and I've always, you know, eight years ago I had breast cancer. It's no big deal. I'm well now. But... But the point was, I remember the surgeon saying to me, he said, you are going to heal very quickly. He said, because of the way you think. Mm. I'll never forget. He was gorgeous. He was just gorgeous. And he just, oh, he was so divine. I can't tell you. Everyone wants to marry him. And, um, and I just, he was just said, you are going to heal because you is the way you think. And I'll never forget that. You know, he said, you may have a much higher chance of getting well. And that's a fact. That's from a surgeon, you know. So they see so much. So it was just interesting for me, that journey too. And I didn't get fearful. I was frightened at first of the drugs, not actually of the actual cancer itself, of the drugs I'd have to take. But um, I had to get through that for the journey. But I didn't live with fear, you know. Watched a lot of great stuff on Netflix, though. <laughs> just to, you know, at night, I thought, oh, well, I did meditation, then bang, I'd be in bed, I had to rest. So I just think, oh, you know, and I'd watch something beautiful, too. That's the other thing, you know, what are we filling our minds with? But anyway, so, yeah. So fear, yes, I think fear can drive us mad. And fear lodges in your body, there is no doubt. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think not only it, it, it makes, in the stress this stress that we have these days and how much everything costs from before COVID, right? We're all on this. Place. Oh, yes. Yeah, food has doubled here in Australia. Probably has where you are too. Yes, I know, for all sorts of reasons. And it's very true. But, you know, the thing is life is so short and I'm rushing towards the other end of it, you know, and I think I keep saying that to my students. They go, oh, no, you're not. And I say, look, we don't know what's around. You know, we just don't know. And and the thing is, I always remember a guru. I took a, one of the groups I took to India and, and they were interesting. They were a Jewish group and they had never, they all said to me, can we meet a guru, a so-called guru? Gurus just teach it really. And I did set it up and um, I, we had to have a translator because it's in um, Rajasthan. And, um, and the guru actually said, anything over 60 is a bonus. And I repeated that to them and they're all over 60. <laughs> This group, you know, and that went, oh, <laughs> you know, and um, and it was really, I laughed. I thought, oh, yeah, right, whatever. I came back and I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, two weeks later. 
you know, so, I mean, as I said, I've got through all that and I'm absolutely fine. I wouldn't bring it up if I wasn't. But but what's really interesting about that is that, um, you know, I could have really gone into the rabbit hole with fear, but I chose not to. And it's also choice. And the other thing, Elizabeth, that I think is so important, and I know I'm raving on, I could talk about this forever, but is simplicity. Mm. Bring your life back to simplicity. You know, only do what you really want to do if you're privileged enough to be able to do that. I know sometimes people are caught in their lifestyles. But just make your life simple. You know, turn your phone off. You know, don't watch things that will depress you because we just we have such a short time here and I think the world is ex exceedingly beautiful. So we need to spend time being present in it. We spend so much time dragging the past with us and going into the future that's not promised to us. And, you know, I remember very young, my mother said to me once, she said, you know, I think I was about 14, she said, why do you feel as though you've got to do everything in one day? And I said, because tomorrow is not promised to me. And she looked at me and she said, I can't argue with that. And she walked away. And, you know, and what she was saying was that I just feel I have to, you know, just life is just so much, there's so much to do in life. There's so much to enjoy. You don't have to pay for it necessarily. It might be walking, might be breathing in fresh air, going to the seaside. But, but you know, I felt I needed to do these things and not be still in that sense, but be still within it. Does that make sense to you? Be present within it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the breathing that you talk about in a lot of your meditations, um, you know, the breathe in to six through your nose, hold it, and then breathe mm -hmm. out. And mm -hmm. if you, if somebody's listening today and said, I want to start meditation, but I'm so fearful and there's no way I can do 25 minutes, or which I love. I love your longer ones. But if somebody wants to start, where would you have them begin? Without doubt, breathing. Without doubt. You know, it's. Uh, I often say to my students in yoga too, and this is really important, what people don't realise is I think yoga, the, the modern world, is, the contemporary world has taken on these postures, you know, put your foot behind your neck and stand on one hand. And, you know, it's so crazy because the postures are simply to make you strong and flexible so you can be still. And this is what I say to my students. So I say the two most important things in your yoga from my perspective, are how you breathe and how you rest. Mm -hmm. So breathing is the first thing to adopt. And there are many, many breathing practices, and it might be as simple as breathing in for six, holding for three, breathing out for six, holding for three. It might be that simple. And you focus on the breath, and you focus on the breath going through your body, and you focus on the, the calm that comes with that, you don't struggle. As soon as you start to try or start to struggle or think, I can't do this, you're right. You can't do it. So you need to just breathe in gently. It might be to the count of four to start. And then you build. It might be eventually to the count of ten. Who knows? It's not important how you get there. It's important journey as you as you go through it. But it's not the, there's no achievement. There's no end goal, really. It's just to live peacefully. And simply and with clarity. 
And we tend to just go and we put all these things and we have to do this and we have to get that and we have to get this when none of it really matters at the end of the day, does it? No. What matters is, and I've, I really believe this because I'm a great believer in, in love, of course, and friendship and, and, and family. And it's really all about, you know, I, I threw out recently thousands of photos, thousands of them, because, you know, I thought, when I die, who's going to look at them? No one is the answer. You know, and if I wrote my own epitaph, it would simply be this. You know, she was kind. That's all. Because I think kindness is the key in life. And this is, this is very much about mindfulness. And often we're unkind to ourselves, we're unkind to others. And I'm really aware of that all the time, constantly trying to Oh, students use the word trying. You just think, you know, to be kind all the time. But, but you know, nevertheless, I think that, again, we go back to that simplicity and just live this life, you know, in a very kind way towards everyone else. And I'd like to think that, you know, it's not about what you do, what you achieve, how many honours you had, how many ballet certificates you had, which I found from when I was six. You know, all these things, it's all about how you make people feel. Right, and just giving somebody just a smile is is just like, yeah, hi, hold the door open. I think it means so, so much. Oh, it's interesting you say that because I'm writing another course for Insight Timer (laughs) and I'm writing an actual thing on grace. It's my favorite word. Grace, graciousness, grateful, all the things that evolve around that word. And it's a very interesting point about, yeah, open the door, something that simple. You know, just let people through. Just be kind on the road. Oh, that's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's like in the US, but I'll tell you what, you take your life into your hands every time you get into a car. And I thought the pandemic would actually calm that down. It didn't. No, no. I live in South Florida where there's this road called 95. It's a highway and it's six lanes each way. So like 12 lanes. And there's more accidents in this. I think it's 20 mile radius than there is on the entire road that goes, you know, almost, I think a thousand miles. It's crazy. Everybody's in a rush to get somewhere. I don't know where they're trying to go. This is what I'm talking about. This getting, where are you going? You know, really? And, And it's not being present, you know, it's, but I must say, I have found in all the travels I've done, people are incredibly kind to me. And I do think it's how you respond to others too. It's very, very important, you know, and to let go of the selfishness. I mean, you know, we all are selfish in some way. And, you know, but at the same time, I think it's just to yeah, think about others. And, yeah, and it's an interesting topic, isn't it? I am actually said writing about that at the moment. I'm also writing about heaven and hell. Um, in the sense, not in any religious way, it's about, you know, your heaven and hell on earth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the journeys we go through, the hells, but also the heaven. And I think we forget about the heavens, and there are so many of them, you know. And I just look at, you know, just seeing the world the way I do, travelling, it's just the most wonderful education on earth. And, you know, and, uh, yes, in my trips, definitely um, I have uh, yoga and meditation, but... But they, we go to beautiful places. This world's very beautiful. We just have to remember that and get off the highway. <laughs> Honestly. Anne-Marie, you oh, are gosh. such an inspiration. 
And I loved everything that you said today, especially with the yoga. I ended up taking a yoga teacher training course just so that I could know what they were talking about because I'm like, okay, I cannot take my leg and put it behind my back. I feel like we need yoga for dummies out there for people because that's where I am. I'm in my fifties. I'm not as flexible as I used to be. And people, and including myself, I'm like, I'm not going to do that class because I can't do it. But as you said, how much, how many benefits do you get just from laying on the mat? It's enormous. You know, you know, can I just bring up something you said yoga for dummies There's actually a very good book called yoga for dummies and it's actually beautifully written on yoga. Really beautiful. Great teachers have written that book, yeah. Um, but anyway, in saying that, um, okay, there was a great master, Iyengar. You've possibly yes. heard of him. Yeah. He mm -hmm. was a great master in yoga. And he could put his foot around his neck until he was about 90. He died in his mid-90s. But he also had a short torso, as my, my yoga teacher brought out. She said, you know, some people think they're going to put their foot around the neck. It's physically impossible. Anyway, it's beside the point. Moving on from that, Iyengar always said the hardest thing to do out of all the postures was Shavasana, and that is lying down and being quiet. Mm -hmm. That was, he said, that is the most difficult of all. And I think that's really interesting. So the benefits are after a class we always um, lie down, and that's because you're sort of assimilating all the things that have happened and your body remembers, all the cells remember. So you lie there and you go into that perhaps scanning, perhaps just breathing, perhaps there's guidance. You know, I do all of that. It depends on the class. I watch what I think they need. And, and then to lie down and just rest like that, it's almost an impossibility for many, and that's where the practice starts, and that's where it ends. And I, as a kid... We used to, my father was an opera singer and he used to lay us down on the floor. There were lots of kids that kept coming and listen to music. And that's how we were trained to just listen. And I guess that's to keep the kids quiet too, by the way, you know, all little. And, um, but all of us are music buffs as a result. And, and also it's that peace when you're just lying there. Now, when was the last time you laid down on the floor, apart from yoga meditation, and watch the clouds or watch, you know, listen to music. When was the last time you were on a lake or a beach and just watched sky? When did you actually go out into the desert and watch the stars, assuming you have a desert of some sort? I mean, you know, it's just, or even just your balcony watching the moon. I seek it every night if I can find it because it's so nurturing and so peaceful. And, you know, it's that's what the stillness is in Shavasana. And Shavasana means... um. Shava is corpse, so it actually means corpse posture, and people go, oh, you know, what is, what's that all about? And it's purely symbolic. It just means letting go of behaviours and habits and ideas and attitudes um, and opinions that are no longer useful to you, letting them die away. And that's the symbolism of Shavasana and starting afresh like a little child, mm. watching the curiosity and learning anew. That's what it's all about. So it's um, there's no, it's it's mystical in a way, but it's not. It's also very simple, just to lie down. What's wrong with that? You know, and I'm not talking about watching TV while you're eating and all that sort of stuff. You know, that's that's not peaceful. It's just to lie down, be still, or sit still for a minute or two. So that's how I tell any beginner to start: sit still and breathe. That's it. You don't have to do you know 
$5,000 courses to learn it. You just sit still and breathe. Amory, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a pleasure. I really hope you start doing retreats again. Yes, I shall. As soon as the fear levels, you know, go down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to go. I'm actually going away a lot this year myself. You know, I'll be writing in Bali for two months and I'll be going to Costa Rica over your side of the world. Yeah, because I've always wanted to go there. It's a trip that keeps getting postponed and I want to be in that nature. So I'm going, but I can't take people with me yet. But I will be again, I think. Well, yeah. what about Americans? We can come. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good point. Oh, Think about um, it. Send me an yeah. email and I'll tell everybody because I would <laughs> totally sign up. I would be there in a yeah. heartbeat. They're more about, they're more, t I tour as well. I like to tour and show people things and then we do yoga every day. But as I said at the beginning, you know, there, it's not strict. You can do, you can, just as long as you're kind and just as long as you're prepared to, to have a go. That's the other thing. You don't have to be a yogi to do my trips. Well, thank you again for coming on. It has been you're such welcome. a joy thank to get you. to know you. Yeah. And I I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing you tomorrow morning on Insight Timer. <laughs> <laughs> and again, yeah. you guys, listeners, you can find her at coolcomandcollected.com.au. Thank you again, Anne-Marie. And take care. Thanks, Elizabeth. Be well.